Oh my God, that's Jason Bourne. Matt Damon returns to his iconic role as Jason Bourne in Jason Bourne, now available on 4K Ultra HD and Blu-ray. Experience Jason Bourne in DTSX technology for the most immersive, lifelike audio experience available at home. Also wanted to thank American Express card members. You do not want to miss this. Now through December 31st, there is a big reason for you to shop small at local stores in your neighborhood. Learn more and enroll your eligible card today at AmericanExpress.com slash shop small offer. That's AmericanExpress.com slash shop small offer. Terms apply. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, he just finished his final narrative. It's Andy Greenwald! Get me rewrite. <laughs> Woo, we did What's it! What's up, man? We did it. The Westworlds. We did a whole season of Westworld. We did. We never, I, you know, honestly, I never thought I'd see the day. Did you? Did you think they were just going to keep making episodes, like a like a 100 episode season? I actually, you know, for a minute. Can we, can we put on the Wayback Machine? People thought this show was never going to happen, man. I know. I know. This was going to be like Catherine Bigelow, Bigelow's much storied uh, show about geniuses on the Upper West Side, right? Or HBO's Lewis and Clark. Or uh, HBO's uh, Steve McQueen show. <laughs> or many of the other shows that yeah. they put a lot of money into and then said, nah. But no, they said, yeah. And we got 10 episodes of Westworld and now we're going to talk about them. Um, I thought the last night's episode was great. Tell me. Here's Preach. why. Preach your case. Wait, get on that bully pulpit. In the same church that has the trap door in the confessional. It's not a trap door, it's an elevator. Well, that's what they always say. <laughs> um, the best thing about last night's finale of the first season of Westworld is that it sets up the second season of the Westworld. Now, yes. Now, we said that last week. We said that was our number one goal right. for the finale of this, this uh, sometimes frustrating season. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little bit of reverse psychology. It's not even reverse psychology because if I, if I was doing that, I'd be tricking you. I'm going to explain to you what you think. <laughs> okay, okay, Ford. Um, I think that probably one of the problems you have with this show is that uh, there are no characters. It's, and it's there a great are no point. characters, not in a necessarily in a as a fault of the writing. There are no characters because the characters can change from week to week. They can they are pretending to be people, like in the case of Ed Harris, or they are actually programmed. So, wait, I'm gonna stop you. You mean pretending to be people in the sense that Ed Harris, William. Is playing a character when he's in the park. Mm-hmm. And one of the strongest things about last night's finale, by far, I thought, was the way the camera shot and considered Ed Harris when he was out and of costume. And even just a little bit of the way Ed Harris walked. Yes. He, even though he's supposed to have a broken arm, but he walked like a little little guy. He appeared like a small, he appeared to be a much physically smaller yes. man, which I don't know whether you credit his brilliance as an actor or the way yeah, they Ed shot Harris him. Ed Harris actually went and had surgery. Yeah. To take six inches off his height. That is a great, great American <laughs> thespian to do that. Um, Sorry, I, I cut off your train no, of thought. No, no, no. So, okay, so you have people who were playing characters, and yeah. then you have uh, androids that were programmed to be characters and multiple characters, whether yeah. they were Dolores, the uh, blushing farm girl, mm-hmm. Dolores, the I don't know what's going on, someone lead me somewhere, and then Dolores, the Wyatt character. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the case for many of the characters, for Teddy, for, for Maeve to some extent. Okay, so basically at any given point, you have no idea who these people are. And added to which, the idea of, and this is still a flaw of the show, consequences, which are usually the thing that mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. this is, I would say, the secret sauce of HBO prestige dramas. Ooh. Because 
you watch these shows and no matter how famous the person is, no matter how important they yeah. are to the story, they can die. Yes. Something bad can happen to them. If they do something wrong, something could come back to get them. In, we see this over and over and again in Game of Thrones, it, but you also saw it in The Sopranos and in Deadwood. In and many ways, that was the special sauce of all prestige drama when TV basically decoupled itself from what it had always been, which is a perpetual yeah, continuation we gotta machine. Get, we got to keep making the as, donuts. As, yeah. as soon as you learned that that was no longer the case, that people who were integral to the story, integral to your enjoyment of the show, were expendable, people were immediately drawn closer. Well, this is now this goes in in I'm some sort of circle maze. We wind up back almost to yeah. the very beginning of that because if you can shoot someone in the head and then Felix can up, come up with his his magic pen, mm-hmm. his like his like tied bleach brush and just wipe away the bullet hole in your head, then what matters? That let me let me you 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 do that is exactly how I feel. So you're watching, you're like, oh no, that was a great scene where Anthony Hopkins did this it, beautiful speech and Jeffrey Wright shot himself in the head, and then it's like, wait, I have my pen, and he's like, he's fine. It just grazed him. And so, what's the point of the scene? <laughs> he just grazed him, even though the, he the, shot him in the, himself in the head. And yet, the episode built to that gunshot like it was some sort of dramatic change in the story, when in fact it wasn't. It well, was just I, a dramatic scene. I don't scene. think that anybody felt that way because they if knew. you'd been doing any of the reading about, if you'd done any of your required reading. You know, if you read Joanna Robinson, if you had read Slash Film, if you had read Reddit, you know that this is not the end for these characters. That said. okay. so wait. So the reason why I thought last night's episode was so great and we'll let you go. Maybe why it's not. I I just want to just put one little caveat into what you were saying about about the one thing you can count on is that when you hire a 78 year old Oscar winner. He's not going to want to do a second season. That's a one season, baby. (laughs) Now. You know, I know people come to the show sometimes, our podcast. For hope? Just just to pull back the curtain on the Hollywood machine, you know, because no one knows the inside of this town like we do. We, I mean, we we never talked about it, but there was no chance in Hannibal Lecter's ninth hell that Tony Hopkins was ever doing a second season of the show. space that Hannibal Lecter had in Baltimore. (laughs) Seriously, like when you ask, oh, why is Anthony Hopkins on a TV show? Because they paid him a lot of money to do one season. Yeah. There's no question. Yeah, yeah. Good. Good, exactly. Because, good. Yes. because here's the thing. The programmer is now dead. Yeah. Okay. Well, Ed Harris is now a twerp in the a sadomasochistic twerp in a tux who gets happy when he gets shot in the arm for real. Yeah. I think we've all we have, we've all been to that Christmas party. Dolores is this great destroyer now, mm-hmm. acting Shiva. out the Wyatt yeah. narrative. But Maeve is sort of New Testament, and she's like even though she had this programming and even though she was like the last bit of programming in that on the magic tablet, because it's like they just give those away and you can just reset the entire park, apparently. Yeah. Um, on that tablet, it said mainland infiltration was the last piece of code. Oh, I didn't see that. And the suggestion there, I think, being like the great revolution would happen if he sent Maeve out into the world and she, I don't know, built her own robots. Or, I don't or she she's, the, she's the twin to Dolores. She's wide well, in the real I, world. And now she's staying, right. But now she's staying, and even though she knows it's just a construct, even though she knows it's just a plot point on a television show even, Shh. she goes back because she still, I don't even know necessarily that it's about her daughter as much as it. she's like, I still feel like I am responsible for those people back there. Or she's super into samurais or and can't wait for like, season two. look. I mean, I love feudal Japan. That's just my thing. <laughs> what a great investment, by the way, um, for everyone. So, so now next season, which mm-hmm. there will be, obviously, yeah. I wonder, and, and you know, I personally think that this show should leave the West behind. I think that the Me man too. in black is now a guy in a suit. There is no reason to explore more Western mythology because I don't think the show ever did that particularly well anyway. I don't think it felt like 
it didn't. It, it, the, one of the problems with the show was like it, the one, the ones that we were having in the beginning was why would anybody go here just to be a rapist murderer? You know, like why, why, mm-hmm. and what is it about the old West? And it's even the best players like Jimmy Simpson comes back and he sees the loop and he's like, for all my money and for all the emotions that I had, mm-hmm. I wind up seeing this this woman pick up the can for somebody else. Yeah. So I mean, it's just or drop the can for somebody else. That's. She would drop the can for anybody. That was her programming. But I just think that now that you are in a world where you've got, uh, you know, basically a total recall basement attack, going, like space basement attack going on, and uh, a lot of boardroom shenanigans. A lot of shenanigans. Uh, a, a, a freezer locker empty of naked robots. We have whoever designed uh, Charlotte's just billowy pantsuit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Kudos. Vera Wang wept. And... Uh, apparently other worlds, because when Maeve mm-hmm. opens up that piece of paper, it says Park One, which suggests there are men- multiple parks. There are multiple parks. Um, yeah. I don't know. So I am excited for season two, and I thought last night's episode was a really entertaining episode. Just to, to, to bring it all the way back, this show is better when you talk about it. Oh. This show is better when I read other people write about it. Um, we're going to have J- our pal Jason Concepcion is going to come on. I read his piece on the show from last week where he talked about how it's a show about writer's block. And I was like, I hope that someone from the Nolan slash Joy household is slipping Jason a check or a nice bottle of Old Western whiskey because he is doing them such a favor, drawing together these strands of ideas into something that seems compelling and smart that is in no way reflected in the show that I'm watching. Yeah. Um, the to what you're to so I'm gonna talk about it in the abstract first, which is which is Everything that you're saying is compelling and interesting and fits together. And I'll take it one step further. You said because of the death of Ford that the programmer is dead. God is dead. I mean, there the, was the whole Michelangelo thing. God, the, the show is so clever, and I don't always mean that as a compliment, that it absolutely sets itself up to rebut the worst arguments against it. Um, Many times in talking to you about the show, I've talked about my frustration with Anthony Hopkins' character and how he doesn't seem to want anything and he has no motivation and he knows everything. Well, that's the problem with God in the Old Testament. He's just this force who creates things and then sometimes gets involved and sometimes doesn't with little consistency or understanding of it. So literally he was playing God in this and that was, quote unquote, the point. I don't think, and and you can make that argument for many of the other things that happened, why they left me feeling cold but sort of worked in the larger scheme of things. You could even say the biggest criticism of this finale was, where the fuck is the security system when dudes right. can just they get just, like, we got locked out. stabbed <laughs> through the middle, middle chest <laughs> yeah. with no consequences for quite some time? And yet the show seems to rebut that as well because if you remember, Forth Hemsworth, the security chief, has also gone AWOL. Yeah. So that... Absolutely was a screw he up. He and Elsie are out there in the park. We we know that Arnold did something to her. I'm pretty sure she's dead, but I think that Wemsworth well, is now an adjunct member of the Ghost Nation. Thank God we get more. What if it, now? What could get me back on board with the show if it was branded as Westworld season two colon Ghost Nation colon Ghost Rogue, Pro, Rogue Protocol <laughs> colon We stabbed that guy through the colon. Um, it is conceptually okay, it's very clever, impressive. It's conceptually impressive. Almost all criticisms of it get rebutted, but... Let's talk about Felix. Okay. Let's talk about your man, Felix. The red-headed, the red-headed stranger. No, Felix is the... Oh, the, no, sorry. That's Sylvester I'm thinking of. Yes, My great, man. great name. Felix, who is apparently the nicest man in the world to robots. What is Felix? Who is Felix? 
what is the point of Felix? I mean, again, the show rebuts its own criticisms. So Felix essentially functions in a more subservient role than any robot ever has in the history of Westworld, which you could say is the point, which you could say is why Maeve tells him that, you know, he's such a bad human because he's literally an automaton that does anything she wants. That isn't good enough because this is a television show on television on a network known for compelling storytelling and compelling characters. And Felix is, he's an, it would be an insult to blank slates to say this guy is blank. And yet he plays one of the most crucial roles in the show. Why is he helping them? Why does he care? What does he feel about the carnage? How about the fact that he is the greatest traitor to a species that perhaps has ever, <laughs> ever, ever been noted in our real and fake history? But if, he, if his only contact with the human world is Sylvester, maybe he's looking for something a little bit deeper than but that. But now you're doing the extra work for them. I don't, I'm not saying it would take much. I'm not saying the show needs to be, we need a web series on the Felix, Felix, the Felix episode, Chronicles. <laughs> it doesn't Westworld matter. season three, colon, Rogue Felix. 90% of this 90 minute slog of an episode, okay, was voiceover exposition. Was characters telling you what happened because there was no other way to communicate that information. And often while these characters were telling that information, characters like Felix were still on camera in the background doing actor business, being like rolling their eyes, looking slightly shocked, but not shocked enough to do anything because the speech wasn't over yet. Yeah. It 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 it's a really unique show that is, you know, getting my dander up because I care so much about the the construction of it. I, I'm impressed by it. I don't care so much. I'm impressed by it. But Every other decision is so catastrophically poor because it clearly doesn't matter to them. And frankly, it, I don't know if it matters to much of the audience. You know, so I, I feel like I'm arguing in an infinite loop at this point myself. No, I think that the, what's the interesting show about is it show. Is, is like because I think it became a phenomenon because it cost a lot of money because a lot of really big people were in it. We expected it to hit the ground running. And this is not unlike to me what happened with Leftovers, just times 100. Where leftovers, I was just like, "What is this? And why is it so sad? And what is why is everybody smoking and, and cursing?" Mm-hmm. And I don't even think leftover season one itself ever figured it all out. I think it had some really great episodes, mm-hmm. but I still left that episode, that season, being like, "I don't get it." And and even for as much as I loved West left leftover season two, I still feel like it has a big unanswered question, which is why they're doing the leftover let's, season three. Let's put on our Bobby Ford hats for a minute, sit in our office with our player piano. Well, here's my thing is that say, don't you think Westworld could just have as much of a, a leap? This is what I'm saying. We, we don't know, and we can always hope, and that's why we watch television, whether we like the show or we don't, because things can always change and in a way that, you know, that other fixed medium media cannot change. You know, from speaking to Damon Lindelof about the leftovers, what I did not like about leftover season one is in effect what makes season two so compelling, which is he was in a dark place. The show was an accurate reflection of his uh, sadness, depression, confusion, anxiety about where he was in life, about his career, about his world. And it came out as this tortured, tight, um, almost painful to look at mess, right? Mm -hmm. Some people really responded to it. Some people didn't. We said at the time we were watching it and when we were we were criticizing it enough to be the apparently the the inspiration for the opening of season two um, that we couldn't it was hard to look away because there was something raw and real and human here. It just wasn't coming together as a TV show in season two. You know, he let the light back in and he let the weirdness back in and he somehow found the needle found the groove in season two. 
which is what's good yes. about TV. I would honestly uh, argue that like my thing wasn't the human the raw human nature of that show, but it was where did they go and what's this? So what's you the wanted the, you rabbit? wanted more of the story of, of this of the the you wanted more cold hard facts, so you could then feel confident tethered to something uh-huh. as you flew out into the yes. it, unknown. Yeah, this is essentially the opposite. I mean. There's no question that this was a stressful experience for all those involved. This show, our show, our, The Watch is not generally, I don't feel like it's not a good path to go down to be like the show psychologists. About no. Like who the people who made it. But, but it's fun. It is fun to imagine. I mean, this is a incredible, the, the, it's an incredibly difficult show to make. The degree of difficulty, not just for what they're trying to track in terms of the characters and the timelines and the loops and everything, but also, um, you know, purely from a production standpoint and a budgetary standpoint and the performers that they have to wrangle. This show was shut. The production was shut down for weeks or months. You know, that's all in the public record. So it's no question that it it's not surprising that it would come off feeling a little bit tight. But my, my feeling is that they they focused on the parts that mattered to them and left aside the parts that didn't. And the, the stuff they left aside is almost everything that I care about in television. And it was very much on display last night. I mean, the episode was 90 minutes. It was full of it was full of, you know, uh, over the top, slightly soggy speechifying, and enormous amounts of death and violence, and I'm I'm still not sure to what end, other than the end that we feel is hopefully worth it, and we won't know for quite some time, which is to make a better second season. Yeah, I mean, I I just really I, I think when the lights went on on the beach, that was a beautiful scene, and I was like, that this is good. really cool. Like I was like, this is the idea that this the that this was all supposed to feel a little bit fake. Yeah, and that. This was all for someone else's entertainment, ultimately Ford's, but all, you know, also to teach everybody something. Um, you know, I think that it's interesting where you and I. We, sh- we should bring Jason on, but I think I thought it was interesting that they didn't really show the massacre at the gala because because Game of Thrones would have Game of Thrones would have been like this is what this has been building to. And the, and I almost feel like, honestly, Game of Thrones would have done the massacre at the gala in the penultimate episode and then had an actual reckoning that would have set up the yes. second season. I think you could you could make the argument that maybe they don't know what they're going to do with the second season. <laughs> and that's why, because, you know, maybe they need to hire a big can, actor to replace Anthony Hopkins. Or can something. I make that argument? That's literally why. I mean, Game of Thrones would do that because Game of Thrones has a net. Right. It doesn't anymore. But Game of Thrones for the for, through the first knew four or five seasons going. knew it could massacre major members of the cast in a shocking way at, a, at, let's say, I don't know, a wedding because they knew how much more story was still to come. Right. And they could not just sell it to themselves and their ability to tell the story, but they could sell it to the right. network. So they saying, have to hedge on it. Did Tessa they, Thompson get shot? Did Ed, I mean, Ed Harris didn't get shot they, they don't, in season two. But. They don't know what the second season is going to be. Um, no one knows that. I mean, they have some ideas, but they still have to, they have to regroup. They have to plan. They have to sell everyone involved on it. They probably don't have Tessa Thompson under contract and they will have to see if she's interested in coming back. So, so all of that uncertainty is baked into the production. Okay. Uh, I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, me I, neither. But I thought that was a very distinctive difference the way it ended. I was like, that's really cool. And I was like, you know what? I feel like that, I feel like I wouldn't have, like the other shows would have handled that differently. But also we were sort of hoping against hope that we would get a glimpse of something that we would get a glimpse of and the outside world sort of did with the samurai we got a glimpse of something bigger and i appreciated that and, but, and but felix that, saying it's complicated but <laughs> that we would maybe see something out in the world mm-hmm. um but again if you really think about it in terms of the the realities of making well, the show mothers still really love their daughters in the real world at least maybe not because the tr- emotional trigger for that was uh Maeve seeing a woman who fully brought her child to westworld <laughs> Which, by the way, she should immediately be arrested. Well, maybe that's part of like the, maybe that was just part of the, um, 
that was just part of the like the programming. Do you know what I mean? Like it was all those two up. people were supposed to be there. I just did Ford. Ford had to. It's it, there's a lot of stuff. I want to talk to Jason about because that's where it gets into video game play a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's bring to take a quick break from our sponsors and then we'll have Jason Concepcion okay. on. Hey guys, just want to tell you a little bit about Proper Cloth. Finding a dress shirt that fits is hard. Collars are too tight, sleeves are too long, something is always not right. But ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier, thanks to Proper Cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds just by answering 10 easy questions. No measuring is required. They have over 500 fabric styles to choose from, everything from classic business to casual shirts. Proper Cloth custom shirts start at just $85, and they are really high quality, made from premium Italian and Japanese fabrics. Proper Cloth has literally hundreds of five-star reviews on Google and Yelp, and it's the highest rated custom shirt maker on Google. Even GQ calls them their favorite online custom shirt maker. This is the future of shirts. The website is so easy to use, your custom sizes and preferences are all saved on your profile, and you can even order on your phone. Now this is important and unique. Proper Cloth guarantees a perfect fit. Remakes are absolutely free and the team is there to make it super easy to do. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit and start looking your best. Go to propercloth.com slash watch and enter gift code watch to save $20 off your first shirt. That's propercloth.com, P-R-O-P-E-R-C-L-O-T-H.com slash watch and enter the gift code watch for $20 off your first shirt. Jason Concepcion is here. Uh, Live from Samurai World, baby. What's Let's up? Go. How is how's the weather there? In Samurai World? Yeah. Is that, you know, it's uh it's temperate, uh, surprisingly <laughs> tropical. Uh, the the armor is a little heavier than you expect. How are you adjusting here, here. to feudal law, my brother? Guys, guys, here's what here's what I want. I want yeah. more than anything else a high maintenance type series about the HBO budgeting department and accounting department <laughs> when they got the little pneumatic tube from upstairs saying great news building another world and it's going to be samurais like you know that they they, they probably asked for mime world what I mean, would be the cheapest like world they could do ed zwick's la- like last samurai set and just be like we're back we're back they kept it in cold storage <laughs> um jason so really quick let's start here we have some specific questions for you but first of all i wanted to know did you like last night's episode yeah it was it was uh it was the fun in the way that the, the series as a whole has been I mean, it was like super uh, tell and showy. Uh, and it, uh, like, as I said in the Slack um, earlier, it it feels, it felt especially like, oh man, what if they don't give us a second season? We just got to throw all the paint on the canvas. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed it. Like, revolution, let's go. Um, I wanted to speak to you specifically about, like, the idea. I want to actually, first of all, ask a little bit about Maeve's journey there, because I thought that that was... A lot of the year that we've talked about Red Dead uh, Redemption and some of the RPGs that it could be, um, but given that Maeve basically had a reverse heist for most of yeah. the show, um, and then is basically advancing through levels past security, and then she gets to the train. Did you notice the architecture of of say like a, a first person shooter happening when you were pl- when you were watching that that plot? Oh yeah, 
Uh, I mean, those guns, those little submachine guns, I think those are P90s. Like, those have been in every shooter of the past That's 10 like years. Some GoldenEye stuff. Some GoldenEye tech. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, they have, like, you know, they have these, like, plastic uh, magazines so you could actually see the bullets go out of them and you can just look down and see how many bullets you have. Um, yeah, everything about it, like, especially the, the that lab shootout was very, very, very uh, shootery just from the hallways and, you know, like the sliding doors that and guards that randomly show up and can't shoot you for some reason. You know, like I thought that was pretty interesting that they yeah. they they shot at them, but never connected you know? um, <laughs> yeah. well, with well, the wait, I have a question about yeah. the Mave stuff. So, yeah. I feel like in general, TV writing, particularly like dramatic writing, is you, you have to you have to push people down a pathway. I mean, this is actually this is the, the connection to video game stuff, right? Like I remember yeah. from from my from my gaming days <laughs> sure. that the, that the, that the, that the uh, conflict in like in role playing games was essentially the idea that it has to be a, a shoot. Like you have to get people from A to B all the way right. to Z. But you have to make them feel like they have free will and free choice around that, right? And there would be some iterations of beloved series like Final Fantasy where people would reject the game because it was beautiful to look at. And, but you were just voice being fluttered when he said pushed, Final Fantasy. I, I, yeah, my lip quivered. That, <laughs> but that you were being pushed along one track, right? So the trick is to have people, to push people along the track and make them feel like they're, they're making the choice. Now, everything I'm saying is essentially Maeve's plot. That said, if Ford was just programming her to do these steps, there are a lot of what ifs there. You know, it seems like a lot of performance for what could have very easily been a result. But isn't that the same thing as playing Resident Evil or Max Payne where you're just like, well, what if I just decide to stand here? I mean, like, what if she just decided to not move? But also, how much of it was based on Felix being more of an automaton than anyone in the well, park? This how much it was sort based of explain on... the thing. I did want to ask Jason, because obviously with all the, like, manipulation on the, the Galaxy Note that they had that seemed to control everything... <laughs> But that was basically sliders, right? That was right, like changing, right. you You know, you play FIFA and you make your your random five foot four Irish guy into Messi. Who, by, yeah. who, who are you talking about? Are you projecting <laughs> in some I, way? By the way, I do, I do that every year. Half I'm Irish, half Jewish. Celtics incredible winger, Patrick yeah. Christopher Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but like I thought that, so one idea that I had while I was watching that is if this is all Ford's programming, maybe the tablets are fake. Like oh. they're doing it, but the code is already there and they're actually, they're programmed to do all this. Like, I'm going to turn your aggression up to a hundred, but his aggression's already up to a hundred because Ford programmed him to do that way, do it that way. And that was just like an, I, it's basically a simulacrum of mm. I'm in control now. I have this, this tablet. Yeah. You know, like this, this kind of, this gets at, um, my core criticism of the show which is they just need to explain how the tech how the wider world and tech in general works like how did ford write the consciousness uh code how uh, you know like how does the business of westworld actually work financially like how, what's the difference between the first gen robots with the metal underneath you know like the terminator type robots and what's the difference between like the flesh and blood robots do they have to eat do they go to the bathroom do they drink water like uh this is stuff like i feel like we need to know in order for the show to be able to become the show that i think it really wants to be you like know who, the, who would have done a good job at that is if like they had done an aaron sorkin episode where basically <laughs> it had started with felix arriving at work 
Okay. And it, it had and it had like first 25 minutes of social network style. Yeah. Like, here's the algorithm. Here's how this works. Here's how this works. You can't do that, but you got to do this. And it's just like fast, 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 fast. But it was such a stately kind of somber show that actually, and, and again, like this is what, I don't know if you heard, but Andy and I were talking about how it ends and how in Game of Thrones, we would have seen the massacre at the gala right. because- they and yeah. Andy was like, yeah, because they know where they're going. They know they have a next chapter. And in Westworld, they might still be figuring out some of the which yada yada. Isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, which of course I didn't not. Say before. It, I mean, that it, probably happened with Leftovers. It could result in a much yeah. better show. Can I can I ask you guys one thing just to make sure I'm on sure. the same page? Because I think I feel I think I understood something, which is very unlike me on this show. Um, the reason Maeve died in a fire last week while having sex on a table was because the goal was to destroy their bodies so they could be rebuilt without the explosives in their spine. Sure. Yes. If, no, that, uh, if there I, are actually explosives in I their spine. Know. Because they remade them this week, right? That We saw them getting dipped and yes, we saw they her were getting remade. from scratch. Which seemed like an enormous expense that, by the way, no one's minding the store. Also, for as expensive or like for as high, like it seems like Felix is basically the Jose Okendo of Westworld. Like he can do anything yes. with that computer, man. No, he's, he, he can play all those different positions. He's Ben Zobris. Yeah. Like he, is, <laughs> he has more wins over replacement than literally any other person in a white leather smock. We should we should do a, like a pictorial uh, listicle of just like the faces of Felix looking absolutely shocked and <laughs> yeah. agog at like whatever is happening around him because he basically spent that entire episode like with his mouth slightly agape, staring in horror like as robots slaughtered human and beings and various things of that. I nature. don't think they slaughtered human beings. Wait, though. by the way. If you really want a hero narrative to pull from the show, let's talk about Felix again. Because, <laughs> because my man could barely make a robot bird fly in a non-upside-down position just six short weeks ago. And now yeah. he's single-handedly responsible for the downfall of the human race. Now, and I, respect. I, I would give you that, Andy. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, the actual... The Andre Iguodala of this of this show yeah. is still Logan. <laughs> Logan, man. Logan became the voice of the audience. He was just like, what are yeah. you doing? Why yeah. am I naked and on a horse? <laughs> so what is the implication there that he is going to send Logan back into town naked with a feather in his hand? And people are going to be like, oh, Logan lost it in Westworld. Yes. And then Ed Harris or then and then Jimmy Simpson is going to take over. Well, or, or he was beginning to seed a narrative that, that that Logan was untrustworthy because up to this point, seed the narrative because, because up to this point, Logan seemed like just the paragon of business acumen and propriety. He, he was literally on the train, like I can't wait to go murder and bang. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, he can't wait to go murder bang. That is specifically a skill set he brought to the park. Okay, okay, I guess so. I just really, I mean, like it'll, it, I, I saw that. Um, in the Vanity Fair interview that Jimmy Simpson did, he was like, yeah, I'm not on season two. So I assume that Ben Barnes is gone as well, which poor little out, man. Okay, wait. All right, Jason, we're, we're all over the place. I want to ask you something yeah. here. Um, yep. You are a fan. We, we all know this. We, we know you, buddy. You are sure, a fan sure. of uh, large, um, interlocking, sprawling narrative arcs. You're, you're sure. a Game of Thrones guy. You are sure. also a gamer. You like, you like stories told in different... He hosts a gaming podcast called Achievement Oriented with Ben Lindbergh. Yes. On what uh, on Channel 33? What channel podcast 33? network is that? The Ringer Podcast Network. Sounds good. It's really will, good. I will subscribe. Um, all that being said, and even as someone who, you know, you will dabble in the Reddits and the whatevers, um, do you think that this show... The Westworld television show on HBO is a is a load bearing mechanism that that will last. Like, do you think there is enough here to keep your interest 
on all levels, not just as a because, you know, it, because it has elements of things that interest you. Do you think this has the ground has the groundwork been laid for a more successful, fully enriching experience such as the ones we've mentioned? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's uh, there's kind of like load bearing concepts hidden deep under like the layers of robot orgies um, that are like, you know, fascinating uh, when to deploy violence to achieve political ends, you know, like uh, the stuff I was talking about, but the world building stuff, like how the tech works, this is all stuff they can, they can talk about. They can flesh out how the actual game design of Westworld works, um, the nature of consciousness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's all fascinating stuff. And I think if they, um, now that they kind of have like a proof of concept, which I, you know, I think you could say that season one was like a very entertaining proof of concept. They, I think, much like the leftovers, they could go into season two with something that is really good. Just pare away the stuff that doesn't work. One more question about yeah. uh, just your your take on this. I, I mentioned to Chris, I loved the piece you wrote last week. I loved how you wrote about the show being um, basically a parable about writer's block. Could you uh, repeat that a little bit here just in case people who haven't read it, oh, they should read it on The Ringer so we can discuss it. But then I, I do want to get into this idea of I just I read that piece and I loved it and I just felt like they owe you a thank you. You've done them a favor. Like you've done this work for them with you something that I don't, don't enjoy. I I, I, I uh, don't know if it deserves it, frankly. Uh, yeah, the basic idea is that you know uh, I was reading this book on creativity like a long time ago, and they and it had a chapter about how Robert Louis Stevenson and various other authors they'd come up with their stories by just kind of like sitting uh at night in the kind of that twilight before sleep and they would just like let these imaginary like characters take an imaginary stage and just do things um and it struck me as that that is exactly what ford and arnold did once upon a time they created all these characters they let them do stuff they um but it, like all along the way uh Ford is sending out these like mixed signals, but he he builds in consciousness. He understands that they're conscious and he builds these kind of like little back doors that make them even more conscious. But at the same time, like he's constantly wiping them and he just like keeps them in these very tight loops and he treats them very callously. And, you know, it's like, it's as it's it's much in the same way that an author would treat their characters. You know, it's like uh, George R. R. Martin's constantly asked, like, do you hate your characters because of the things you put them through. Uh, and it's much the same with Ford. He puts them through a lot of the same things. And at the same time, um, he doesn't seem to have any kind of like real ideas like anymore. Uh, he had this kind of explosion of creativity back when they created the park. Uh, you could argue that it was all his creative partners stuff that he, um, well, originally it seemed like he pushed him out, but he, but it's obviously more, much more complex than that. Um, and now it's just kind of like 30 years of stasis, which I think is like um, is a thing that happens to a lot of very successful uh, creative people who create something that makes a lot of money and becomes a uh, business proposition. I know that's happened to this podcast. Clearly, one, one person <laughs> yeah. does all the work and the other one is just coasting. <laughs> I agree. But, I, but, but, but to what you're saying, like, I, I think that the show itself as a fixed unit, an hour or now an hour plus yeah. or a week, 10 weeks a year, I don't know if it is designed to be able to do all of this. Well, this what, is, what I mean is, 
the, what you're saying about Ford and authorship on its own is fascinating to me. And I think the Ford Arnold dynamic, the idea of this partners, creative partnership and how it, how, you know, he attempted to recreate it basically, but in an optimal version, these are strands of one of a wonderful, rich, emotive, compelling story. But because of the nature of the show that they've chosen to make and the, the nature and demands and to be more, more generous, the nature and demands of contemporary television, which demand all of it. You need to have the high level smart stuff and you need to have the gun battles. You need to have everything right. in between. There's right. just not enough. There's not enough real estate to really get into that. So when I read your piece, I'm like, oh, that would be so good. But I, I, I just think you're doing these beautiful um, acrobatic loop de loops that make me enjoy the show more. I, but you're but you're doing it. But you're doing it in a circus tent that is not in I, Westworld. I think that, OK, so I think you're right. But I do think that Westworld should be able to do on the you know, some might say bloated, some might expense, say, say expensive end. What the weirdest 22 minute comedy is able to do, too, which is basically like television can be anything and television can be more or less a puzzle. It doesn't have to be what like it traditionally has been mm-hmm. in the prestige era. I would say, though, one of the first things we talked about when we first started talking about Westworld. So is this a first, loop, too? Yeah, this is the loop is this show needs a Luke Skywalker. And I hope that in the second season, whether it's the Regina King character, or Solo. it needs it needs someone who is going to go on a journey that is actually has um, that is relevant to the present I think, day. Now, yeah. I think what Jason wrote about last week was amazing. And I think it actually you could take it a step further and that the entire show is a commentary on the fallacy of characters and the fallacy of story and like just how malleable all that stuff is. But I do think that the first that the second season needs to begin with a very clear, this is a character who is a real person whose arc is going to be the second season. And you can believe us when we tell you that they are not going to like get reprogrammed or get shut down at the end of the the season. Because do you know, because deconstructing the fallacy of character is a good idea. And do you know when it's a great idea? When you have characters in your college dorm room, when you are high (laughs) AF, you know when it is a bad idea? When you have the Ferrari keys to an HBO drama series with a hundred million dollar plus budget. You don't need to do those donuts on that particular lawn when you can actually do something good with it. Let's end with this, Jason. Where do you want to see the show go next season? Where where do you want to see it set up? I mean, obviously there are there is a samurai world, but like what what do you want to see? Do you want the opening scene of the second season to be some guy at a skyscraper in Dallas getting the Delos bat phone call and be like <laughs> What? <laughs> and it's like, you, guess what, bro? You're the head you of want, the company you now. You want the King Ralph version? Yeah, of basically. Westworld. Or do you want it to be twenty years in the future, or or eight years in the past, or whatever? It's gonna like. Where, what do you want to see next? I need I need some context about what the outer world is like uh, in order to really kind of feel like. There's a real grounding to what goes on in Westworld, you know, like it's just the world building stuff. For me, the core of the show is this a dude created life. He created like conscious computer life. Um, and that would have a ton of consequences. There'd be all sorts of companies that would want to buy this. Um, there'd be a lot of things that would happen if, 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 if a person could create artificial intelligence, real 
like conscious life in a computer. Um, and so why is no one freaking out about this? Like, you know, why is everyone okay with it's just being uh, uh, subscribed to a theme park where people fuck robots? Like, <laughs> like you know, there's there's a lot of other questions and I think those are the things that need to be fleshed out in order for um, the stuff that goes on in Westworld to really have a greater impact. And, you know, to, to give them credit, the, the, the story that I'd heard is that when they shut down production, one of the reasons was so that Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy could really like design that theory of consciousness that I think we probably saw spelled out last night. So right. it's not like these people are averse to putting in work to doing the hard questions. Um, before we let you go, let's just, this is the end of the season. Let's do a quick round table. I just want all of us to say our MVP of Westworld season one. And if, if you got it, the LVP, least valuable player, that could be a performer or a character or a concept. Yeah, and I'm putting I, you all on the spot here. I, I would say the MVP is by far Jeffrey Wright, um, just yeah. because uh, he was the person who transcended the limitations of playing, uh, you know, a, a robot. Basically, like you, you literally did not know what was going on with him, even if like it was pretty clearly broadcast. And he was actually the one who was able to uh, brought like actually appropriately broadcast both human and. The human pathos, but then also the a reaction to finding yeah. out that that pathos is like a, a fiction. Um, before, you, before you stop, the only reason I just want to jump in to say I agree with you, just so we don't have suspense. I think Jeffrey Wright was the, the MVP. I think for the last 20 years, he should have been on the short list for the just the best actor working yeah. and very rarely got the opportunities to to work at that level. I mean, when he joined Boardwalk Empire, he was the classiest thing in a, a dive bar, basically. And it just almost seemed wasteful. And I and, and I had the same reaction when I saw him on this. And this I want to give Nolan and Joy all the credit for this yeah. because I did think and they were playing off this, too. They're probably playing off our expectations that once again, Jeffrey Wright is cast in essentially a thankless role. He was the intermediary between other characters and would be unable to own the show himself. But if you look back at the season, his was the arc that was by far the most interesting and the most compelling. I also do want to say a runner up to Tandy Newton, who I think in the second half of the season, once she sort of starts to put her plan together, has like a great run. They probably should have told her that everyone else was going to call him Bernard. And so she shouldn't be super British on that one word because that was kind of, I, I kind of bumped up against that. Jason, who is your oh, LVP? Probably Sylvester. Sylvester's still standing in a lab like with a guy who just got killed for lubing up. Making making yeah. the face that I made when I said Final Fantasy a second ago. Uh, Jason, who's your MVP and LVP? Uh, Jeffrey Wright. I mean, he's like one of those people that's just never been in anything he's ever done. Uh, and then my LVP is uh, Lee Sizemore, head writer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I just didn't understand why he was he existed in that world. I mean, if they ever did make a Tropic Thunder 2, like that Lee Sizemore, <laughs> comma, head writer would yeah. be a terrific addition to the cast of whatever movie they're making. I, I, I boy, there's so many LVPs here. I mean, I, I want to, I, I, I love Tessa Thompson, so I don't want to say that she was the least valuable player. I kind of want to say whoever just explained what her character was doing to her. Like maybe it was just she showed up and then sometime in hair and makeup, someone came by to just like some PA came by and said, you know, let me just quickly download you on what we're looking for here. We're kind of looking for corporate sex pirate. Um, that didn't work for me. But I don't know. Help me out here. What are the other things that I didn't like this season? You didn't like uh, uh I don't, I don't know. You didn't like anything with Teresa and any of like the board stuff. I, 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 you know, as I, I suggested we do LVP, but at this point it almost feels uncharitable because, for example, like I, I didn't like 
what Jimmy Simpson did. And then now that I see what he was asked to do, mm-hmm. I think that was impossible. Interesting, though, that he actually he figured it out before they were ready to tell him on the set. Apparently, Ed Harris didn't know until the very end. Because oh, he wasn't, he was, probably wasn't watching the Starcross Lovers storyline. He probably didn't well, know. Well, they were shooting it differently, yeah. But, okay. um... Do you guys think? Do you guys think Ed Harris was acting, or did they just go here, put on this suit, and go walk around in this area and do whatever you want? Here's what I think: they told him something, or they told him just enough that worked for him. They were like, "We loved your work in The Rock." His 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 face in those performances and with some of the dialogue that he had to deliver. Hopkins always had a little smile on his lips because he was thinking about the extension to his Malibu beach house he was going to put on because yeah. of the season. Like, and I wonder he, if I can buy an actual mountain. As an 80-year-old <laughs> British stage actor, he has been shoveling the shit for so long it smells like roses to him. Uh, Ed Harris, like, I, I feel like he just was, in his head, he was just saying, I'm a cowboy. I guess I'm a cowboy. I guess I'm a cowboy. And when he finally had something more interesting to do in the finale, he stepped up. But, I oh got I'm, you know what? Let me let me break my loop. I just I do I really do want it to be better in second season. I'm I think it will be. It. I think it's going to be really exciting. I just have they're not going to be like back now that we're back in Escalante. You know, <laughs> like they're not going to do that. They're going to have like the entire like okay. they're they're clearly like and they could still be like P.S. It's Mars. Guess what else? It is the most human thing of all to still hope in the face of reality. Jason, thank you for joining us, man. Thanks, guys. Uh, okay, so I guess we're pretty much going to wrap it up there. Well, we'll be back on Thursday uh, to to talk a little bit. Well, we'll talk about I think we stuff. should do a pre-Rogue One conversation. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing it next Thursday. Oh, look at you. I got my tickets already. I'm definitely going to see this movie, but I think we need to do a pre, like, where are we? All right. Because some of the stuff that's come out this week. Let's give a little homework. The Hollywood Reporter ran a story last week. Basically the saying, is, think about how Tony Gilroy has a better life than us. Yeah, Tony Gilroy, our hero, the archi- the unsung architect of the Bourne franchise, including its low-key greatest moment. That's not true, but we love the Bourne legacy. Tony Gilroy basically took over this movie in, in to, to quote-unquote uh-huh. fix it and pocketed at least $5 million to do so. And Disney's being weirdly open about this. So I think it's very interesting to think, to, to see what this movie is going to be and what it means about franchise blockbuster filmmaking. So I would say the homework is the Hollywood Reporter story about Tony Gilroy and Kyle Buchanan's piece on Vulture about how maybe these movies need veterans after all. And I know that uh, people have been asking, we will do, we'll do Shut Up and Dance on, on, on Thursday too. I am sorry that I have not caught up and I will watch. I like, the best thing guys is when Chris That's says we're going to do so. something in a microphone while looking at me. Uh, with the same look he gave his FIFA avatar. <laughs> He's about to score a goal. Be the best! <laughs> One of us has to be. You have to be the best, son! I need the best version that's of my, my partner. That's my uh, Scottish football manager voice. Goodbye. Great job, Bransky. Before we go, just want to thank American Express. American Express card members, you do not want to miss this. Now through December 31st, there is a big reason for you to shop small at local stores in your neighborhood. Learn more and enroll your eligible card today at AmericanExpress.com slash shop small offer. That's AmericanExpress.com slash shop small offer. Terms apply. Also want to say thank you to Proper Cloth at PropperCloth.com. You can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds just by answering 10 easy questions. No measuring is required. They guarantee a perfect fit. Remakes are absolutely free, and the team is there to make it super easy to do. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. You look stupid. Start looking your best. Go to PropperCloth.com watch and enter gift code watch 
you save $20 off your first shirt. That's P-R-O-P-E-R-C-L-O-T-H dot com slash watch and gift code watch for $20 off your first shirt. 